Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. This passage of Scripture, for those of you that are in core, I think that you could use this for core. Because there is a bunch of truth in this Scripture that is unrefutable that you can tell these people, hey, this is what it is. For instance, there's two men. Those two men are living. Eventually, they both die. And after they die, they go to a place of torment or to Abraham's bosom. So right there, you can tell people that those of us will never cease to exist. You're going to live. You're going to die. But there's life after death, and it's in one of two places. You can tell those people, if you want to be sure that there's one of two places that you can go, you'll be going. So instead of showing this as a reason why the rich man went to hell, and I'm sure everybody that would read this would have their reasons. Oh, he was rich. He didn't do this for Lazarus. He did this. He did that. And a lot of people, I don't know who else will hear this message, but if it's somebody that's a non-believer or doesn't really know a lot about the scriptures, a lot of times when you speak of hell and damnation, it's intimidating for them and they'll shut you right off because they want to think that you're fear-mongering them and are trying to scare them into hell. So what I want to talk to you guys about is what kept and what can keep you out of heaven. That is what's important because what we think is irrelevant. It's what God tells us that's important. I think one of the first things that he tells us in this is surprise because if you look at it, it says there was a rich man. He lived sumptuously. He ate and lived great. But then it says all of a sudden, and it came to pass that that beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. There was the surprise when he says, and in hell he lift up his eyes. Surprise. How many of you like surprises? Surprise parties. You know, not every surprise is a positive thing. There are some that are unpleasant and some that you really don't want. I told my wife this morning, like, surprise, you went to the car dealership to get your oil changed. And guess what? You need a transmission. So your little $70 visit turned into be a couple grand. Is that a surprise you'd like to have? But what I'm trying to tell you is we could be caught off guard by surprises. You can say, I never saw that coming. If only I would have known. How many, do you think the rich man said that? This rich man, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He's giving this parable, or I'm sure the story to the Pharisees to teach them something about people themselves. And I'm not going to just narrow this down to the Pharisees. It's all these people that think they're religious. Self-righteous in their own mind. It's not limited to just the Pharisees because there's a lot of people out there that have that same mindset as they do. So he's talking to them and he's saying, hey, you better listen up. This is what can happen. This is what's going to happen. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, telling you this is what's 
This is what life's all about. Life, death, afterlife. He's telling you, you want to be prepared? I'm giving you this, this message. I'm telling you right now what you need to be prepared. And I think a lot of us, because we fail to prepare, we are not ready. I know there's a lot of you out there that have the gift of hosting or entertaining. You can see it in the church when there's events coming. That they, you guys plan out, pastor plans out his schedule a year in advance, maybe out longer. But he plans ahead. He wants to be ready. He wants to be sure that everything's going to be happening right. And those of you that have guests coming over, you don't wait to the last minute and say, hey, to yourself, well, what are we cooking tonight? You plan ahead so that everything will go right. So are we prepared? Most people, we live life, we are living in the present. How many of you think about death every day? Do, do you go around thinking, hey, I'm going to die tomorrow? Or We don't think about death. We don't want to think about those things. And after death, well, those are uncertainties that many people don't have any idea about. But Christ is telling us here that there is life after death. An illustration or a story in the parable of the rich man that was saying, hey, I'm making a lot of money. I'm getting a lot of crops. I want to build bigger barns. I have all this stuff come in. I can't believe it. But guess what was told to him? He said, you fool, tonight your soul is demanded of you. This guy was living. How many of us live thinking that we're going to be hit by a car? How many live thinking, hey, I could just all of a sudden drop? I don't mean to be morbid, but death is just as much a reality as life. We are all going to die. It says just as man is destined to die once. And after that, I'm just paraphrasing, face judgment. The Bible tells you we're going to die. But if you're not prepared for your death, what are you preparing for? Are you going to be ready when that happens, no matter when it happens? Are you prepared? We focus on the here and now because we don't think of the distant future. And it's not what we have in this life. We are so focused on the wrong things at times. What am I going to do? When I get to work, or what am I going to do when I get here? I think Pastor said this morning, first you go to the Bible, and then you pray. You go to God's Word, and then you pray. How We put God so far in the back, often, in our daily lives. Like this rich man. Do you think he thought about God? It doesn't say he thought anything about God. Do you think... And the poor man... Nothing's really said about him except that he, his name was Lazarus. He was a beggar, dropped at the gate of this rich man's house and covered with sores and dog licks, dogs licked his wounds. There's something interesting about that man, but I will tell you in a little bit. Page two. <laughs> you know, the Bible talks a lot about, in the Gospels, about preparing for no one knows what the time or date when the master's going to return. 
We do not know the hour. We do not know the time. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But how many prepare for that? Hey, if I don't know when they're coming, I still want to be ready. My wife will tell you that there's a lot of papers over the table right now. And if we were to have company, guess where you'd have to eat? Put your plate on the lap, the table's full. Nobody likes to scurry around at the last minute and get ready because it's too late at that point. You know, once you die, there's not, you don't convene somewhere and you have a discussion and you, and you go into an interview room and you talk to God saying, hey, I'm going to do this. Hey, this is what I've done in my life. This is what I'm doing. You don't get that. It doesn't say that here. They went to one of two places. Abraham's bosom, which is another term for heaven, or a place of torment, which is referring to hell. <laughs> they had no choice. They died, and guess what? They were there in one of those two places. Are we prepared for that? It says, so what causes us not to think about death or prepare for it? In Ecclesiastes 12.1, it says, Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh. I take that as saying, hey, when you're young, you don't worry about what's way out in the future. Do you think some of these young kids are worrying about me in the future? They're looking at me and saying, boy, he's old. They don't think about that because everybody feels that death is so far in the future. The Bible tells us that we could either live three score, ten and six years, or four score of strength, if you're given strength. But we're not guaranteed those years. Because you think, oh, okay, I'm young. I'm ten years old or fifteen years old. I'm invincible. I'm going to live for a while. I've got a about 50, 60 years to go. Do you? These are things that you have to be prepared for. That, do you see how you can get distracted on the proper things? On the flip side, when we get older, how many, how many of us think about death? A lot of, I've seen a lot of shows where people get that certain age, 40, 50 years, and they're talking about they have to make a will and that's the one thing they don't want to do. Because you're not, what does a will mean to most people? I, I'm going to die. I've got kids. I've got a wife. I've got to take care of things. So most people won't prepare that. And then guess what happens? A lot of people die without wills. But that's not what I'm talking about, wills. But when you're older, you don't want to think about that. And when you get older, you might not be able to think about that. Your cognitive resources might go. You might get Alzheimer's. You could become senile. But you might not be able to think straight. And at that point, are you going to be able to say, God, I need you. I'm a sinner. No. You won't be able to think straight if something like that happens. And not everybody plans on becoming, sorry, senile or getting Alzheimer's or dementia. But that's very common. I see that more and more now in older people. So if you're not prepared when you're young... Or when you're old, that is one thing that could keep you out of heaven right there if you're not prepared. Because if you don't know what you need to do to get into heaven, guess what? You're going to be in that place of torments. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. 
So why do, many pe- why do so many people fail to take the precaution and fail to be prepared? Point two. Boy, I wish I was techo, right? The second thing is the reason why people don't prepare is because we're preoccupied. There is so much going on in this world right now. Our minds are everywhere. They're telling you, me that if you want to be a teacher, and I think I've lost you already because they say for young kids, you, you have five minutes. No more than five or ten minutes and people's attention spans are gone. So they say that if you want to teach a young person something, you might want to say one thing in four different ways in 20 minutes. So that you'll keep their attention because you're not repeating yourself. I hope I'm not repeating myself now. And you want to capture their attention because if you lose their attention, they're not going to listen. How many people are so preoccupied that they have no time for the word of God? How many people are out there? When we come to church, we pass Peachtree Restaurant. You know, the big draw on that is Sunday morning breakfast. But is breakfast more important than the Word of God? Why are these people preoccupied with things? And what is preoccupying their mind? 1 Peter 5.8, we all know this one. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's not going to kill you, but he's coming after your mind. It says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We know it's a battle up here. And it's tough. Because once we're programmed to go one way, if we have a bad habit, it says it takes 30 days to create a habit and 60 days to break it. If it's a bad habit, it's a lot harder to break some bad habits than it is to keep good habits. They're saying that things that are troubling the kids nowadays are technology, cell phones. You think their necks are broken. And, and you ever notice how they could do it without looking? Really? How, how's that work? They're talking media, television. I remember when I was a kid that every night around midnight, the TVs would shut down. There'd be a test pattern all night till like 6 a.m. There was no radio. There might be radio, but the TV, there were certain media outlets that shut down. But you're going 24-7 now. Your mind is everywhere. Social media. Hey, what's Joe and Chip doing? I don't know, but let's find out. Everybody's worried or preoccupied about other things. Did they get back together? Really? I, I don't get it. Satan's work is to deceive, distract, and draw you, us, away from God. That's his work. He's not going to, you don't have to be a heinous sinner. He's not going to get you to become a murderer. But what he will do is to say, hey, God's not important. What did he do to Eve? 
He beguiled Eve. Did God really say? Do, he wants you to doubt God. He wants you to think that God doesn't exist. But if he does that, well, then why do we think he exists? But my, there's many Christians that don't believe that Satan is real. I don't understand. This rich man here seemed to be focused and preoccupied with materialism. Hey, it said he dined sumptuously or fared sumptuously, sumptuously every day. He had parties. This guy, money was no object for him because every day it was the same thing. To the nines. It, it didn't matter to him. Like I said, you see no reference to God. No giving thanks to God for what he has. Think about this rich man and the Pharisees. These, these Pharisees have drifted away from the truth. From the Old Testament to now, they've drifted away and they've established or created their own truth. They've preoccupied their mind with other things other than God. They're not godly things, that's for sure. And it talks about, in Mark 4.19, the cares of this world which is under the influence of Satan and the rule of Satan, tells us demand happiness. Get what you want. So your preoccupation could be getting what you want. I would think that's called selfishness. What about getting what you need? How many of you perform your budgets on a want and need basis or luxury and need basis? The luxuries seem to go off to the side for a while until the needs are met. But people, we are just so preoccupied with the things of this world. And guess what? I hate to tell you, but the world's only temporal. It's not going to be here forever. It said that Moses discarded sin for a season. He didn't want what this world had to offer. He wanted to be with his people. Do we want to be with God? What are we preoccupied that takes us from God? I will admit, mine's television. I'm human. I'm weak. But I'm just saying that these are some of the things that I have to learn to deal with and discipline myself with. You're not going to make it if we don't discipline ourselves. It says, are you listening to God? Remember when Elijah went up into the mountain? God told him to go up into the mountain and wait till he spoke to him. So here's Elijah up there. The first thing that happens, he's looking for God. If God's a big, powerful God, he's looking for God in big and powerful ways. The first thing that came by was a strong wind. Guess what? God was not in that wind. The next thing was an earthquake, then a fire. But guess what God came in? A small, still voice. Why do you think they tell us to pray in a closet or somewhere in solitude? Christ never prayed in the middle of the town or the middle of the people. Every time you heard about Jesus going to pray, he went off somewhere by himself. He did not want to be distracted or preoccupied by other things. He wanted to focus on the will of God. That's all he wanted. 
but he stepped away from the things. Sometimes we need to step away from the things that are distracting us that are of God. I think the third thing that kept or keeps people, I'm sorry, I'm touching things, keeps people out of heaven is prosperity. Well, you have to admit that money's important, right? It's something we think about. It's something we work for. It's something we save. It's something we spend. It's an integral part of our life. And we focus a lot on that. There's nothing wrong with working and earning a living. I'm not saying that. But what I'm trying to say is look at the rich man, like I just said before. It doesn't say that he mentioned anything about God or gave thanks to God at all. Aren't we supposed to give thanks to God in all things? I find it amazing. It says in Deuteronomy 8.18 that Moses tells the Israelites, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Everything that we have is God's, right? But he gives you the talents and the abilities, the strength, the health to go out and make that money. How do we, do we think about God with that? It says also that we have to beware because that prosperity could cause us to forget God. I love Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? You see how easy it is to forget? I like Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4.29. He goes, is this not great Babylon that I have built? Prosperity, materialism, wealth, preoccupation is going to give you a sense of self-sufficiency. And that's something we cannot, we should not have. Because when you become self-sufficiency, what's the head, first word in that? Self. Self. You don't need anybody else. I got all the money. That guy, you think that guy? That guy didn't even need Lazarus, a beggar. Do you think? It says he was laid out there at his gate. This rich man saw Lazarus every day. They believe. Going in and out of his home. He did not once do anything for that man. I, th- I like to think that when they say about this rich man, it says, you know, when they didn't have napkins back then, so in order to clean their face when they had those parties, they would use breadcrumbs or old stale bread and wipe their mouths and throw it under the tables. That's where the dogs would come and clean it up. Remember the Samaritan woman that said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table? This Lazarus... The coolest thing I found out about him is Lazarus is a Greek name. His Hebrew name means Eleazar or Eleazar, which is the one whom God has helped or the one whom God has saved. So you know what I see about this rich man and that poor man? You know why the rich, I believe the rich man doesn't have a name? is because his name wasn't written in the book of life. 
That's why he has no name. But Lazarus, who was in Abraham's bosom, has a name. And this man disregarded him like the bread that he threw underneath the table. And you know, they refer sometimes to bread as scripture or the holy word bread. That rich man disregarded the bread. I don't need that. I take that as that he didn't want the word. He didn't even go to Lazarus and ask him anything. Could have been that Lazarus was laid there because once they found out he was a believer, they disregarded him. They exiled him, even though he was a beggar and crippled. Maybe they thought the rich man was going to give him some help. But did he? It doesn't say he did. But I love what it says here that he dined sumptuously every day. And later, in verse 25, it says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. I think another reason that wealth and prosperity takes your focus off of God is because that's what he focused. Because it says in life you received your good things. That's what he wanted. And God never promises us health and wealth like false teachers are out there preaching right now. He's telling you that you have to pick up your cross and follow him, possibly being crucified. So are you focused on getting your good things now? Because if we are, that's one thing that will keep you out of heaven. You know, he tempted Eve in the garden with the lust of the flesh, pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. But you know, it says we are warned not to love the world nor the things in it. In 2 Timothy, even Paul says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I think of Judas sometimes, don't you? I think Judas might have thought he was going to get something. I might, he might have been materialistic. But Demas left the faith. What was it, do you think, that drew him away? The pleasures of this world? What is it that you think drew Demas away from the faith and away from Paul? What is it? It says, a person who is financially comfortable often feels invulnerable, secure, and in control, feeling no need of or for God. I don't need anybody. I got everything I need right here. Really? We are told to seek ye first the kingdom of God. But guess what we're also told in Proverbs? Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. Doesn't matter how much money you got. You might be able to buy things here. If you're not happy and you're looking for something to fill that void, you could always buy something new, trade something in. But you know what? That money's not going to have any effect on God when you get before him on the judgment seat. You're not going to be able to buy your way into heaven. So if we are involved in material things or prosperity here on the earth, that's something that could keep us out of heaven. You know, why did the Pharisees think that being rich 
was a gift from God. Because I think about it in scriptures, it says, Christ became poor that we might become rich. The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Christ, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, who came down in human form, had nothing. And when you're rich, <coughs> excuse me, and you have no need of God, he said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. The self-righteous people, you're not going to touch. You're not going to be able to, con- well, God, with God, anything's possible, yes. But those self-righteous people will think that they've got it made. It said that Jesus came and he sat with publicans and sinners and those Pharisees were so upset. Why does your master sit with those people? This poor man, Lazarus, he made it to heaven. He wasn't rich. If God, if that was the whole purpose of believing in God, that you would become rich, that that's what your benefits were, then everybody would come to God for that reason. Why did Lazarus come to God? It says, the one whom the Lord hath saved or helped. Our perception is another thing that could keep us out of heaven. How we perceive the scriptures. And I just want, I'm going to have to go through this quick. It says 84% of Americans or the world population have some type of religious affiliation. 84%. Says that the Western world, out of the Western world, 90% of Americans say they believe in God and 85% of Americans say they believe in Jesus. But how do they perceive Him? See, people perceive religion as a way or a path to God. All religions lead to one destination. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says coexist? And it has various. Symbols of the other religions of the world. You're not all going to the same place. Why did that man go to heaven? And why did he go to hell? What is truth? Pilate asked, what is truth? People don't know what truth is. Truth is subjective. Whatever you want it to be. There is no objective truth. There is no standard. And if you have no standard, you can go anywhere. There again, Satan has the mind of unbelievers. One of the things that hurt our perception of things is that when we're born, we're born in iniquity. We're conceived in sin in Psalm 51. Shaping in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. The wicked are estranged and alienated from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born speaking lies our perception is of god is already tainted when we come out of that womb and the one thing we're doing when we get old enough to think or be able to speak i don't hear a lot of people saying i'm going to run to god they run other places you have to teach your kids to not to be selfish right 
How many times do you have to discipline your children? There in itself is showing you their perception of things. But that alienation from God keeps us from God. And it'll keep you out of heaven. Just because you light a candle, recite a prayer, observe man-made regulations and traditions does not mean you're going to heaven. You know how you're going to get to heaven? It says it in there. It says, for they have Moses and the prophets. First of all, the rich man said he knew that his brothers had to repent. And I told my wife, just as when we get to heaven, we will see Christ as he is because we will be made like him. I think the same goes for the people that go to hell. At that point, they're going to know truth as well. And they're going to know why they're in hell. They're not going to complain that they were unfaithfully or wrongly put there. They're going to know why they're there. Why do you think they're in torment? Can you imagine that? Why? For eternity. Why? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I talk to Lazarus? It says he have the law and the prophets and they must repent. The law and the prophets or Moses and the prophets is just another word for scripture, Old Testament scripture. I'm going to just read you a couple things out of scriptures that show you from the Old Testament that this is what we need. Timothy is an illustration of Old Testament salvation through the Old Testament scripture. It says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of of knowing of whom thou hast learned them from. And that was his grandmother Lois and mother Eunice. And is that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus even said to the Pharisees, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are which they which testify of me. And how would you have liked to have been those two people on the road to Emmaus, those two disciples, who were talking about, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what happened. I thought we were going to be saved from this tyranny of Rome. I thought we were going to be taken away from this. And Jesus said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And listen to this. What a walk that must have been. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. To conclude this, I have a lot more, but I'm going to conclude If you, the law and the prophets, you need scripture. Scripture has everything you need in it to be saved. The rich man said, hey, if you raise somebody from the dead, surely they will believe. And Abraham said, they won't even believe if somebody was raised from the dead. Christ was raised from the dead and they bribed the guards to say the body was taken. Why didn't they go look for Christ? And repentance is saying, hey, I'm a sinner. I cannot do anything on my own to enter into heaven. So I'm giving my life and I'm asking Christ that I am a sinner. <clears throat> I, the biggest thing of repentance and how you get into heaven is imputation of righteousness from God, Jesus, to you. And it says by Abraham through faith, 
and it was imputed to him as righteousness. You have to be perfect to get into heaven. You're not going to get in any other way. And these people that want to abide by the law, <clears throat> if you break the law in one sense, you broke the law in all. There's not one that could keep that law. And it says by the acts of the law or by observing the law, not, there won't be any justification of the flesh. So is there anybody out there that's preoccupied? not prepared, have everything they want here? Do you perceive the scriptures as what they are or what you want them to be? Are you ready to repent? Are you perfect? There's only one that's perfect. So I'm just telling you that we need to be prepared. No one knows the time or the date but we must be prepared if we wish to go to heaven. Pastor, if you'd like to come up and close in a word of prayer. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.